welcome to the Empowering Agency Workers, a podcast for all temporary workers. If you're unsure of your rights, unsure how to find work, or just plain unsure, we're here to help. It's all too easy to be exploited, so your expert host, Julia Kermode, will empower you to succeed. Welcome to today's podcast. I'm really delighted to have with me Bernie Payne, and we're going to be talking about the benefits of preferred supplier lists um, for um, recruitment firms and also, most importantly, for workers. And so, really warm welcome, Bernie. Now, Bernie has a background in working in recruitment firms um, in the legal and compliance side of things for probably more years than she'd like me to say, um, including some top firms. And she's, for the last three years, been working as a consultant in, in this space. Have, have I got that right, Bernie? Yep, that is correct. It is uh, probably about 20 years now, so um, definitely <laughs> I'm feeling every single day of that. <laughs> um, but yes, I am lucky to have had some great experience in-house in recruitment firms. And now, of course, I deal with lots of different recruitment businesses, giving them legal and compliance support. Perfect. And just, just for our audience, um, uh, the, the world of um, recruitment compliance and legislation and all of that is ever changing because, um, because the government likes to keep us on our toes. And of course, there's a lot of um, money goes through the recruitment firms. So obviously, government needs to keep track of that for kind of tax purposes. So never ending fun, isn't it, Bernie? <laughs> yeah, that is certainly true. It is not it is not a boring job, I have to say. Um, thankfully, I love it. Uh, but unfortunately, I can I can completely understand that both, you know, individual workers and also, you know, recruitment business owners um, find it more of a hassle than, a, you know, something that they actually love. Um, but hopefully, you know, what I can do today is 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 kind of give the human side of the, of, of the need or the perceived need for preferred supply list. Perfect. So let's let's crack straight into it then. Um, so um, I think I think we know that um, the preferred supply lists um, can can be negative in some ways, but they can also be really positive. And it was the positive side of things I wanted to to get into a little bit. So what what is what are your thoughts around that? Yeah, I think the thing is, you know, as you said, umbrella preferred supply lists or PSLs, you know, they can be implemented for very different reasons. Mm. Some agencies do implement PSLs, you know, for the sole or main purpose of receiving kickbacks of some form or another. And, mm-hmm. you know, let's be honest, those PSLs do predominantly exploit workers rather than supporting them. Now, I, I genuinely believe that those types of agencies are in the minority, but clearly, you know, that is just my opinion. Yeah. But I think the thing is, is that, you know, the best types of recruitment agencies also implement PSLs, but the PSL's sole purpose is protection. Yeah. And yes, of course, for the agency itself, but also for individual workers. And so, you know, today is really just an opportunity to sort of look at it in a little bit of detail on the agency side, but really focus on actually how PSLs can support workers as well. Yeah, and I think it's probably worth noting that the umbrella sector has um, its um, share of dubious practices that go on within the umbrella sector. And I always am mindful of um, the loan schemes and the loan charge that came out from the government a few years ago now. I, we can't get into any detail on, on that um, today, um, but the, the, my point being, 
some of those looked like they were compliant umbrellas, but they were actually something very different and put workers at huge risk of, of a tax bill. And I guess that's the sort of thing that um, recruitment firms are looking to prevent happening through their preferred supplier lists. Yeah, that's very true. I mean, you know, but it's also for their own protection and, mm -hmm. and the protection, you know, of the workers, because you know, as you so quite rightly said in your sort of in your intro, you know, recruitment agencies are subject to a myriad of regulation <laughs> yeah. and legislation. And, you know, those regulations are many and varied, but they generally fall into one of two camps. You know, right. it is either about the provision of rights and benefits or it is about tax. And yeah. they're the two sort of areas that, that, that are the most compelling. Okay. So... Agencies who are committed to best practice will, will use the process of selecting and managing a preferred supplier list mm -hmm. to ensure that that umbrella company is compliant, you know, with, with both types of regulation, the right side and, and the tax side. Okay. Now, tax compliance by an umbrella predominantly benefits the agency, and I'll explain that. And the rights compliance side of things predominantly benefits the worker. Okay. Yeah. Um, now, while I obviously could spend hours <laughs> describing <laughs> all the various tax laws that agencies need to comply with. Please um, don't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I can appreciate that is no one's idea of a good time. Oh, other than I, might, I might like it, but yeah. <laughs> so, so I will, you know, I'll cover it sort of pretty, pretty quickly. Okay. Now, a lot of people simply don't realise that, that agencies can be legally responsible and liable for tax non-compliance by an umbrella company. Okay, you know, yeah. Fact, a lot of people think that agencies only use umbrellas so that they can just sort of forget about the tax side of things and, and sort of shift that responsibility yeah. onto someone else. Um, but that's, you know, absolutely and definitively not the case. Okay, good to know because that that is that is a perception that that, that it's kind of um, shifting the problem. I don't want to use the word problem, but shifting that to to somewhere else in the supply chain. So it's good to know that that's not the case. Exactly, you know, because they may be shifting the administration, mm. but nine times out of ten, they are not shifting their legal liabilities. So agencies can be liable under mm -hmm. different tax laws for the actions or inactions of any umbrella company they use. Right. So I'll give yeah. you two very quick examples. Okay. So under the 2014 offshore intermediaries legislation, if an umbrella company pays a worker who is working in the UK yeah. via an offshore entity, and that yeah. means any entity that is based outside of HMRC's you know, remit or jurisdiction, mm. And if that off offshore entity doesn't deduct and pay the correct taxes and national insurance to HMRC, it is the agency who is legally liable to HMRC for all of those unpaid taxes, not the umbrella and not the worker. Wow. And that could be a huge amount, even if it's um, a relatively small number of workers, uh, say 50, something like that. If you imagine the income that they are receiving, even on minimum wage, um, say, then that, that that adds up if that's being paid, you know, on a weekly basis or whatever. It's, it's a massive financial risk, isn't it? it? It runs to the millions, millions yeah. and millions, particularly if you are using the same workers over and over again. Yeah. Even if individual assignments are 
short, you can think over multiple tax years, that can really kind of wrap up. Mm. And, you know, it's we've got to bear in mind, it's the employees and the employers side of the national insurance. So, you know, you've yes. got sort of dub, the double whammy, if you like. Wow. Um, and the second example is where, you know, if an agency implements a preferred supply list and requires its workers to use those umbrella companies and no other. Yeah. If the umbrella company is using a tax avoidance or disguised remuneration scheme, mm -hmm. which is subsequently defeated by HMRC, that is HMRC provides enough proof and evidence that actually that's, you know, dodgy um, yeah. and the correct taxes are not being deducted um then the agency who implemented that psl can be fined an oh, unlimited amount as something called an enabler of that tax avoidance scheme right and that they that agency may not even know it's taking place um you know so that's a massive risk as well for them isn't it so before an agency uses any umbrella companies to supply workers they need to do checks, you know, yeah. a lot of checks. Because yeah. as you say, umbrella companies can be very good at hiding evidence of any tax evasion or tax avoidance. Yeah, yeah. And just to kind of give you a sense of the scale, um, agencies will normally send out a PSL questionnaire. Yeah. Those, just the questionnaire itself tends to be at least 10 to 20 pages long. Wow. Yeah. And the list of supporting evidence that the umbrella company has to provide can easily exceed a hundred different documents. You're kidding. A hundred different documents. So some someone in that recruitment agency then has to presumably go through all of those with a fairly fine tooth comb because it's so important. Exactly. Yeah. You've got to check the responses to the questionnaire, meticulously check all those supporting documents and evidence. Yeah. And actually even over and above those things, they need to do some digging of their own yeah. to determine the truth or otherwise of yeah. that umbrella company's responses and documents. Yeah. So yeah. When I was um, implementing umbrella PSLs, I would undertake round about 300 different types of checks. Wow. Every umbrella company who applied to join the PSL. Gosh. So, I won't obviously bore everyone with all the <laughs> details of those checks, but I will give you one interesting example. Okay, yeah. So I use companies house records to mm -hmm. basically dig into the details of each umbrella company. Yeah. And the company's house website is a great way to find out more about a company, its directors and shareholders, and it's completely free and anyone can use it. Yeah, yeah. So. I go onto the company's house website and I find the company mm -hmm. and I will then check out all of the directors yeah. of that company, all the previous directors of that company, all the shareholders of that company and any other companies that they are connected to. Okay. Because I'm looking for particular red flags. Yeah. So things like, um, like multiple directors or shareholders who are non-UK resident. Okay, yes. Red flag. Lots of changes to directors or shareholders over time. Mm -hmm. Directors who have been involved with lots of companies previously that are now dissolved. Or multiple connected companies with very similar names. Okay, yeah, yeah. So that's an example of one check on one umbrella company. Yeah. 
And if you weren't doing that, sorry to interrupt, but I just want to make the, the point very quickly is that when you were in that, you know, doing those checks, you're not just accepting what the umbrella has told you at face value. You've got to go a bit deeper, haven't you? Just to make sure that it's genuine. Exactly right. Because the thing is, is that, you know, one of the few downsides of doing what I do is that you assume that everyone lies all of the time. <laughs> I'm, I'm laughing. We, we shouldn't be laughing, but it, it's have, having that healthy scepticism makes perfect sense when you're dealing with the risks involved. Exactly, exactly. So, you know, that's just one example of one check on one yeah. other company. Wow. So Multiply that 300 fold. There you go. <laughs> yeah. And then by the number of umbrellas that you're auditing to get... Yeah. PSL in the first place and you can see how that process takes you know weeks if not months yeah and yeah. then of course that doesn't you know once you have your PSL that doesn't mean that your checks stop you know you then need to do ongoing monthly or quarterly checks of payslips fax transmissions and HMRC submissions to make sure that they are actually doing everything that they should be doing with regards to tax Productions. Yeah. And those audits are done, you know, continuously on every umbrella company. Wow. Yeah. So I guess it's when you have that degree of context, it sort of it helps to clarify that, you know, if workers were given a free choice of umbrella company, mm. and every time a new umbrella company came along, that agency needs to do those 300 checks plus the yeah. ongoing audits for every single one of them. Yeah. And sadly, it just really does become unmanageable yeah i wish there was free choice i really do but i absolutely understand that that is an impossible task yeah it's it's huge and so i would guess from what you're saying um to audit just one umbrella um at the outset to decide whether it can go on the psl probably sounds like a month's worth of work um for for one person so when you think about the range of size and scale of recruitment agencies out there. Some of the very big ones will have in-house teams um, like in your previous roles, um, but I guess a large number of recruitment firms out there won't have an in-house team and will be um, bringing in services like, like yours when, when needed. Um, and so for them, I, I guess it's those mid to smaller size um, uh, recruitment firms where it would be particularly hard to manage this. Yeah, absolutely. Particularly difficult to know, you know, what all of their risks are, because as we said, just keeping up yeah. with tax legislation is, is incredibly difficult. And, you know, on the whole, government communications about new laws is not, is not excellent, should we say? <laughs> no. <laughs> So and, and business owners and small, you know, smaller recruitment firms, they just they don't have neither the resources nor the expertise mm. to be hunting down what all of their obligations are. And even if they understood the theoretical legal obligation, that doesn't mean that they know how to implement it. They don't know the right questions to ask to yeah. try to work out if they're complying or not, you know, yeah. because tax laws wordy and and, and all it tells you is, you you know, if this happens, you're liable. It doesn't say, and these are the steps that you can think about to take in order to reduce or mitigate that potential liability. So yeah. it, it's, it is massive. It's a big job and it's, it's very expensive, even if you're using in-house resources. Yeah. Also, yeah. of course, if you're using external. So they've got to do it right. And, yeah. and, and therefore, they can only do it 
in a way that is going to be manageable for a couple of years at least you know they can't yeah. can't be doing it on an ongoing basis yeah and what you're saying about the legislation is so true because um i i think i'm uh relatively well informed about about this space um but i i try and read the legislation it's a it's a nightmare um it doesn't it doesn't make sense and things are being referenced from one place to another and before you know it you're completely bamboozled so i literally don't know i don't know how i don't know how people let you do it but anyway um uh so so yeah let's talk about um a bit around so so we've talked kind of about the tax compliance side of things what about kind of um the rights side of things in terms of what workers should um potentially be getting um and and how how does that work for recruitment companies yeah so you know obviously on the right side of things you know it's it's about ensuring that the umbrella company will will do all of the right things and provide all of the you know correct um statutory you know um rights and benefits you know to mm -hmm. workers but you know even on the sort of on the tax compliance sort of side of things yeah. You know, obviously that predominantly benefits the, the agency, but it, it benefits the worker as well, because, yeah. you know, using a compliant umbrella company means the worker won't get embroiled in a tax. They're yes. much more or less likely to get embroiled in a tax avoidance or evasion scheme that they're unaware of yeah. and potentially might be held liable for at a later date. And the loan charge that you referenced before, Julia, is a perfect example. I know you've already done podcasts on that topic, so we won't cover it, but that's a perfect example of, you know, unknown unknowns. Contractors yeah. didn't even know what was going on or what to look for, and yet have been held liable. Yeah, and and another thing that, that sometimes people are a bit surprised when they work through an umbrella company that, that they will be paid through PAYE um, um, payroll um, and and the, it, it must feel like they're taking home less money than they could but actually that peace of mind knowing that you won't get a future tax bill you almost can't put a price on that but the thing is is that it, it it's all it all forms part of the same thing which is mm. protection and yeah. protecting workers is the priority for good agencies yeah you know? and as I said you know having a PSL implemented for the right reasons and you know can provide that sort of that protection yeah so yeah. another thing that agencies will generally always do is check the financial stability of their okay. PSL partners as one of their checks that they do and doing that check and ensuring that there is financial stability reduces the risk of an umbrella company dissolving unexpectedly yeah and if they are going to do that they will always do it after they've been paid by an agency, but before they've paid the worker. Yeah. So it could leave hundreds, if not thousands of workers unpaid. So what are the other benefits to workers in terms of having a, a good preferred supplier list to choose from? Well, I think, you know, one of the things that agencies will require their umbrella companies to do in order to even get on to the PSL is to disclose a full history of any complaints and or employment related claims made by workers and this this comes into okay. that the rights bit that we were talking about yeah and that, that disclosure will be regardless of whether those complaints or claims go to a tribunal or not okay. so you know they have to manage those complaints with you know usually in a formalized manner and every single complaint needs to be disclosed and obviously the the theory is the fewer complaints and claims means that the umbrella company is more likely 
to provide the worker with all of their sort of, you know, statutory rights, such as yeah. holiday pay, but also rights under things like the agency worker regulations, etc. Okay, yeah. And in the same vein, agencies will also require the umbrella to disclose a full history of investigations from any other regulators, not just HMRC. So people like the Information Commissioner's Office, who deals with data protection in the UK, the Pensions Regulator, that's a good Mm -hmm. one. You know, are these um, uh, uh, umbrella companies complying with their their obligation to auto-enroll or make sure that a worker completely understands how and why they might be opting out of being enrolled in a pension? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, those kinds of questions, they are asked only for the benefit of the workers. Yeah. You know, so, if, for example, if you're asking for details of any data protection breaches or fines, well, that helps to ensure that the umbrella company won't be doing anything, you know, nefarious with mm-hmm. the worker's personal data. There's no benefit on the agency. They're only asking those questions to say, will you do a good job for the workers who we value that will be required to go through your or a another company on the PSA. That is such a good point, isn't it? Because I think sometimes we're all um, uh, guilty of a perception of agencies where they don't um, always prioritize the worker to the level that we might hope that they do. And so I think that is such an important point to, to kind of really get across is that actually there are a good number of agencies that, that do these extra steps to make sure that the workers are prioritised when they're kind of working through the umbrella on their on their PSL. So true. And actually, many agencies will go even a step further than that. Okay. So often, agencies will use a PSL opportunity to contractually require the umbrella companies to do or not do certain things. And those okay. contractual obligations can have a you know, a direct beneficial impact on the worker who uses any of those approved umbrellas. And one of the most common scenarios is that the agency will require the umbrella to fix their management fee at a certain amount and for the duration of the PSL which okay. is usually two to four years. Okay, wow. So that's that's um, that basically is 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 set in stone. So even when costs go up, like at the moment, costs for everything are going up right now. Um, but if that's in their contract, they can't put their fee up. Exactly. So agencies actually negotiate on the worker's behalf to keep the management fee as low as, low as possible. Now, as you said about changes, obviously, if there's changes to, you know, statutory costs, So like the recent change to increase the amount of employees, national insurance that needs to be deducted. Well, obviously they they can't be avoided, but at least the agency can fix the management fee on the workers. Yeah, brilliant. And do do agencies ever get involved with kind of certain customer service requirements? I don't know, maybe agreeing uh, uh, turnaround times for inquiries, that sort of thing. Exactly. That is something that they invariably do which is um, they, the umbrella then becomes contractually required to answer phone calls from workers within a certain number of rings or yeah. that they will reply to emails within one working day or, you know, or whatever it may be. Brilliant. And again, those will be contractual obligations and they will be tracked throughout okay. the duration of the PSL. So there will be management information reported back to the agency 
confirming that those service levels have been met. I think that's really positive. And also um, putting myself in the shoes of the agency, of course, a big part of what the umbrellas do is process the pay for the workers. And of course, from the agency's perspective, they don't want to be working with an umbrella who isn't paying the workers because they'll get all the queries. <laughs> so actually having all this stuff in place and the agreed service levels is, is actually really positive um, for, for everyone, um, it seems to me. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you're absolutely right about, you know, wanting to make sure that the umbrella companies are sort of are doing everything right. And, and a sort of a, a, a common effect of that is, you know, a place on the PSL for an umbrella will normally require them to invest to a certain degree in automation with the agency's own systems. Okay. To make sure that the flow of information on things like time worked each week and payments that need to be made are as real time and as accurate as possible. And that, of course, is a benefit to the worker because it's less likely that they get paid late or they get paid the incorrect amount. Yeah. So, you know, all of those things combined, you know, as I said, some things are done for the agency's benefit, but lots of things get done behind the scenes when a PSL is implemented for good reasons yeah. that have a huge impact, benefit, you know, beneficial impact. On the workers too. And in fact, um, I don't know how true this is, but I'm just thinking um, from both the workers' perspective and the agency's perspective, you almost don't really want to notice the umbrella is there. And I don't mean that in a disrespectful way, but actually, if the umbrella is doing what it should be doing, and the most important thing for workers is usually the pay side, then actually, if that's happening, um, you you don't need to you shouldn't be you shouldn't even be conscious of it um if that makes sense um, i'm not sure that makes very much sense at all actually <laughs> no, it, it absolutely does it's one of the scenarios where no news is good news yeah the, the yeah. less you have to interact as a worker with your umbrella company and the less that an agency has to in, interact with an umbrella company once it's been set up on the psl barring these ongoing checks mm. they are good things because it means that there are no problems yeah yeah no perfect well thanks <laughs> me out making my my point there um so in terms of kind of the good and the the bad umbrella um preferred supplier list is there any way um that that a worker might be able to to tell which which offering they're, they're getting from their agency um not hugely easily but I, okay. I i do have some kind of some thoughts i guess Brilliant. One of the things that I would do is, is look at the size of the preferred supplier list. It's not definitive, right. but, you know, I think the thing is, is that, you know, if the agency has a preferred supplier list of one, that is not a preferred supplier list. That is properly <laughs> and invariably never a good thing. So a good PSL will usually have three to five options. Okay. Um, you know, some really small agencies might only have two, and some really big agencies may have as many as sort of 10 or 15. Yeah, okay. But on the flip side, a huge PSL with, say, 30 options, well, that actually is also a red flag for me. Okay. Because it yeah. makes me wonder just how much due diligence the AG agency is doing on their PSL partners. Yeah. So it's, you know, it's a bit like a Goldilocks situation, you know, <laughs> not too few, not too many, just the right amount. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. That's, that's useful. To me, the list needs to be of an adequate size to get the umbrella company 
to agree to much bigger concessions yeah. than they would normally. Because agencies who don't offer up a good deal to umbrella companies on their PSL simply won't get those kinds of concessions. So right. some of the benefits yeah. that we've talked about, like the fixed management fees or yeah. minimum service levels, they just won't be offered by an umbrella company unless they have a degree of exclusivity. I would also say that the um, the agencies who, who who implement PSLs for the you know for good reasons, you know they're generally kind of very proud of their compliance processes and rightly yeah. so. Yeah. So if you're a temporary worker, you know don't be afraid to ask the recruitment consultant that you're dealing with how that agency implements its umbrella PSL because. You know, clients often ask the same questions about mm-hmm. umbrella PSL partners. So why can't workers do the same? Well, they, yeah. they can, and, and you know, and they should. And, and if the consultant him or herself doesn't know the kind of the detail about how a PSL is chosen, then they should definitely be able to pass you on to someone who does. Okay. You know, personally, I used to love getting asked about <laughs> how we choose our PSL partners by workers or by clients, because, you know, it was one of the few times my team got to show off and be the good guy for once, (laughs) instead of the person who always says no. (laughs) Yeah, I totally, totally can can understand that. It's been absolutely fantastic to have you along today. Um, Huge thank you so much for your time. And we will definitely keep in touch and get, get you back on again at some point in future. Well, thank you very much for having me, Julia. I have loved it as always. Thank you for listening to Empowering Agency Workers, hosted by Julia Kermode. For more information on today's discussion, please visit iwork.co.uk, where you can also join our growing community. We hope you enjoyed today's episode, and if you did, then we would love you to subscribe, rate, and review our podcast. We'll be back at the same time next week.